right, for once I'm holding your feet to the fire here. Okay, I'll try hard. No I'll more. try hard. Okay, so when the bell goes, okay. you're done. Okay, crowd <laughs> figures. They were down at Chester. They were mm. a little down at York, even though advanced ticket sales were up and they didn't have the best of luck with the weather. They were down for Sandown's Bet365 meeting. Big, important fixtures at real top-notch venues. Um, what hope is there for the, the midweeks and why is this mm. happening? Well, why is it happening? Uh, I, I don't know. There's a financial crisis, obviously. Uh, we've had COVID. Uh, maybe the sports had some bad publicity. You know, we read a lot about how much you have to pay for a gin and tonic at Cheltenham and the, uh, people talk about, you know, how burgers are so expensive. And I'm not blaming the, the people that are running the concessions. Maybe the race courses. Uh, need to try to uh, ease the are, pressure are you on those there's people. There's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Are we shorting our stock a little bit? Do you think? Yeah, by possibly. On about it, and then uh, yeah, people possibly. Go, oh, a little bit, going. little bit, little bit. Um, I, I noticed a few of the courses coming out and saying that, that the crowds are not maybe ready to come back to racing uh, because of you know post-COVID mm. that people I was are still nervous. I was a bit skeptical about that, given. Um, well, you're the most you're the most ner COVID nervous person. I'm slightly, I know. I'm slightly COVID nervous, uh, definitely. That's why you're sitting all the way over there. Uh, absolutely, um, but uh, I, I sort of felt like it wasn't that long ago that they were trying to tell us it's an outdoor sport and it's no problem at all, and we don't, you know, we don't really need the restrictions. And now they're saying people are nervous about COVID. Um, I also sort of think, uh, I guess it is possible because racing has an older demographic of people. Uh, racing followers and maybe the real regulars. Uh, I don't know, the, the cash thing as well. People are using um, cards a lot more in everyday life. And so I noticed the numbers that fell off were the walk-up people more than the book in advance people. And mm. if you're a walk-up person, are you more likely to be a cash punter and suddenly you can't pay cash to come in? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I feel like the price of admission just has to come down. OK, well, that's you've answered the, qu the next question, which is going to roll into the next point, mm. which is, uh, and again, I'm not picking on any particular race course because they've mm. all got questions to answer, but there was an issue this week which Windsor immediately redressed. Yeah. There'd clearly been some sort of um, I meeting. I thought it was, it was good, wasn't it? That yeah. They, uh, so so Windsor, Windsor decided to make essentially the Tattersall's enclosure yeah. uh, into a place where you couldn't go to the paddock and see the horses. That's mm -hmm. the gist of it, isn't it? Yeah, that's the gist of it. And then they rode back on it. Uh, which was a, great, I thought, because they listened to the feedback yeah. and they said, all right, fair enough, that doesn't really work. I can't really remember. Am I right in saying the reason they wanted to do this originally was because... Uh, when they have some kind of entertainment, they want to kind of separate out the two enclosures in a way that they don't at the moment. Is that right? So uh, that they can charge a lot more if you're coming, you know, for the band or whatever. Yeah, I think there were there were sort of sound commercial logistical reasons for mm. it, but obviously you're then taking away uh, a key part of ra genuine racing fans' yeah, enjoyment of the day, and I think they recognised this and realised it. It's more really to ask you. What are the key things that, at this time of difficulty, racecourses must be doing better? As someone who like, occasionally likes a day out. Uh, yeah, yeah, occasionally. I'm actually going racing next week. I haven't been racing for Where? ages. I'm going to Brigadier Gerard next oh, week. Sound so. down. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to Royal Ascot this year. One are day. you? Amazingly. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, I some, sometimes people send me, people are always adding me into Twitter to say, have you seen this? It's 28 quid to go to Fontwell midweek or whatever. It might not be Fontwell. Please don't be upset well, with me. Fontwell, Fontwell. I mean, this is now, Fontwell, Fontwell did that gave, thing this gave, week, didn't they? Gave, yes. them, gave the money yeah. back as a field they size. Said, they the said you can have a free ticket wow, next dangerous. time because the field everyone size will be going is small. Race, everyone will be going racing for free by that. And metric. also, I think Plumpton, there was a, the, the, the Sussex champion chase. 
uh, had to be, it got um, abandoned halfway through the race because of a, a, a horse lying on the track or something like that. Uh, and they gave everybody a discount or a free ticket the next time round. I haven't really addressed the Windsor thing, have I, in the time, and now we're well, running out have. of time. You have, um, But I, 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 I think people are trying to think about things to do. The, the race courses need to be a bit more proactive, maybe, but some of them are being, and I, I, I think I have to applaud Windsor, really. They, they thought of a new idea, they suggested it, it didn't go down well, and they went and came back on it. So. I can't be cross with them about that. I applaud the owners of Very Elegant for bringing the horse to Europe to be trained by Francis Graffard. So a great trainer, a, a great, great trainer. A super yeah. trainer, yeah. and uh, I, I like the cut of his jib when I interviewed him earlier in the week. And also said, the former trainer didn't, Chris seem, Waller, yeah. too, he didn't no. seem too upset about it. I sort of thought well, he might be quite, well, he can't do anything anyway, but he might be a bit miffed about it. But he, he seemed genuinely to say that he cared about the horse and the way the horse was going to you know, be best served mm. by this move. A Genuinely brilliant race mare who's shown top class group and grade one form from you know a mile to two miles and has, has won the Melbourne Cup mm. you know against the kind of run of play of the rest of her career where she showed speed and brilliance. The Jean Romanet at Deauville, uh, Francis put up as a potential starting point. But it's also I mean it's quite exciting because you know oftentimes when horses cross hemispheres. Um, you know they go a couple of weeks before they acclimatise whatever they go through the regulations. Um, but you could, uh, presumably, like having it trained in that racing jurisdiction for X amount of time before a proper campaign, they're bound to run much better. It's bound to be better for the horse's chances of being at their best. So it's great, yeah. Who, what's not to like? There is nothing not to like about Very Elegant coming here. And I, I don't know whether you feel this, and I, I realise that international racing does not drive <laughs> the punting pound in this country. But there's no reason to believe that it shouldn't if it gathers more traction and therefore you can engage the fan with it. And as the world is becoming much smaller, why shouldn't we try to engage the fan? Well, yeah, I mean, I, it's I, the I, same deal. It's I, brown I, animals I, running I, around yeah, the field. I, I touched earlier on the, the whole kind of, you know, can you enjoy racing without having a bet thing? Stuff like this makes it more likely that you're going to be interested in the race, even if you don't really have a bet. Um, and I guess with the whole tote whirlpools thing, uh, horses moving from different jurisdictions is, is probably a good thing for the finances of racing. Talk about the fairy tale winner of the Kentucky Derby, Rich Strike. Oh yeah, you got announced. quite cross. Didn't yeah, you? well, a lot of people got very cross with me. Yeah, what was that all about? I do didn't you, really do you understand know? that. Well, okay. Well, you so, yeah, okay, go on. So you got a rags to riches story. The mm. horse. Uh, was incredibly lucky to get a run in the race because he was on the also eligibles list. The horse yeah, came eighty out to one. Uh, the uh, hard to see how it would they, have been they, a thousand. Uh, they, 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 they rightly identified they win the lottery mm. by getting into the race in the first place yeah. uh, because yeah, he he didn't have a, enough points to get yeah, on the, yeah, yeah. the main starting gate. He then has to start from the widest gate <laughs> yeah, of all. It's incredible, uh, it's, really. They, they win the lottery again. They've gone the firstest quarter mile in the race's history. Yeah, and a, and a suicidal, mm. uh, as my NBC colleague Randy Moss put it, radioactive mm. pace melted <laughs> down. The the horse got a wonderful ride uh, from a completely unencumbered by pressure jockey and uh, and came through to yeah, win. Yeah, just bizarre that you wouldn't way. think, oh, great, now, OK, we're going for the triple crown. Well, like, how well, can you not? They now think, having had this tremendous, uh, tr 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 great bit of training, I'm not I'm not decrying mm -hmm. yeah, how well Eric Reid's done to get this horse to win the Kentucky mm -hmm. Derby, and, and I'm not decrying his achievement at all. But they're now, I think, in my view, overthinking it and, and trying to be too clever by giving mad. the horse a break for the Belmont Stakes. This horse was massively overmatched going into the Kentucky Derby. Things fell right for him. 
the Triple Crown has been held up mm. by global and American horse racing for over 100 years as the absolute pinnacle, as the defining achievement of the sport. And only three horses prior to this in its history have electively yeah. decided to bypass the Preakness. Now, there have been all sorts of nebulous arguments this week thrown up I, about I, I, it's I, I, unfair to, yeah. to wheel a horse back in two weeks. It's fundamentally, they're doing the right thing by mm. the horse. Well, if they're doing the right thing it's by the horse, there ridiculous. shouldn't be yeah. a Kentucky You shouldn't have a triple crown. Exactly. You shouldn't even talk about it. No, I agree. I heard uh, Lydia Hislop talking to you about it the other day, and I thought the horse welfare stuff, talking about welfare you know, the horse to run in the Triple Crown, which is kind of established as the peak of US horse racing for, you know, since uh, the early, you know, whatever, the, the, the horse of the 70s well, the late or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, and, and really bad for the sport if people are going to start suggesting well, that running if, two or three times in three months it, is a welfare it's fine. issue. If the, if the connections don't want to go there, of course it's their decision. Mm. No, and it's not my decision. I get that. Mm. But it's... It's not for it's it's not for people who should know better to applaud the decision yeah. to not run the horse in the race if the horse is healthy. The only reason it is right for the horse to not run in the race yeah. is if the horse is unsound, unhealthy, also, or unfit. It's also bonkers for other, people to be cross with yeah. you about it. Well, That's other, just bonkers. Otherwise, you're basically, or you're fundamentally um, complicit in the notion that running a horse twice. Mm in three weeks is in some way cruel yeah and yeah. if you if you were someone who is a racing fan and someone who is an advocate for the sport 100%. is complicit yeah. in that notion what chance have we got yeah. no, in a world in, in, you agree. know when the world's completely looking agree. on no i completely agree and also um they <laughs> people are saying that the owners that the owners and the trainers are eschewing the greedy Notion to run well, in the Preakness to go to the Belmont. Well, I hadn't well, heard that one. Well, but that's when ridiculous. I when I got my when I got my notification yesterday to see if I wanted to purchase Rich Strike merchandise. <laughs> I, well, I get a, I'll get my mug on it saying I'm Surely not running in the Preakness. Surely they'll be sending you a baseball hat. Nick. And the other the other accusation was I'm sorry to go off on. No, on you one, really but, are yeah. going off on one. But the other accusation. Maybe was, we can just do a just, minute on the because next you're one. on telly. You're just mm. concerned about the TV viewing figures. Well. Actually, we should all yes, be concerned about the TV viewing figures. You, That's asked, what drives the betting numbers. That's what funds the sport, the prize money. What's the point of doing it if nobody watches it? That's the 19 million people you've just asked to care about a great, a great, Ameri a great American dream. We've asked 19 million people to care about the great Honestly, American dream. I agree with you. A and, thousand the, and then they'll all tune in next week and go, "What was happened to the great American dream?" Well, they've decided to just to skip it because they think they're playing the percentages and it's think it gives them a better chance. Absolutely not. No, it's always right. For, it's right for them, yeah. quite rightly. Good yeah. for them. But it's don't still tell their me, decision. Don't tell me. But it's you're best entitled to have your opinion yeah, on it, exactly. and I don't understand how they can be cross with you. Well, there you are. Um, they are bugalugs. This one passed me by completely. Maybe we can only do a minute on bugalugs. this one. There's always called bugalugs. BHA yeah. decided to uh, revoke the name and say okay. you can't. You can't. Um, that's yeah. rare, isn't it? Revoking names because we've had a few slip through. Yeah. There was also around the other day that I thought. I mean, it wasn't really particular. It was a, it was a sort of name that would get into Rogers Profanosaurus. Was it the turtle said? It was, yeah. yeah. And I just thought, yeah, would I call my horse that? It's not a great name for a horse. But I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, how? And horses have, in the past, horses have slipped through, and people think they're quite funny doing that and getting it through. I don't know, those ones in the past that slipped through, I think, were they Julie Cecil trained horses? There was a couple. Oh, it was Mary Hinge, wasn't there? Yeah, Mary Hinge was one. And, and you still see her popping up in a few pedigrees. But I, I just think, 
in that instance, you know, obviously somebody alerted the BHA after the horse had run a couple of times. Should they have uh, thought he, about changing run? it I, then? No, I've been no not off. this one. I mean, in the past. In the past, like, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't have a strong view on it, really. I mean, I, I, where do you so draw the line? So the owner's cross because he says it's not, you know, it's not a, it's not a swear word or whatever, a profanity. It's a, it's a, um, it's a term of endearment. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not in, really sure. In I, Yorkshire, apparently, it's hard to draw the line, isn't it? I mean, but did anyone complain? Someone must have done for sure. Really? There's always somebody complaining about something. I don't want to go into the whole. Oh, it's all cancel culture gone mad because th that's all ridiculous as well. Um, I mean, I could easily talk for half an hour on cancel culture if you want, but I'm not going to start on that. But I, I don't, I, I don't have a strong view, Nick. I, I mean, honestly, I, I think, yeah, I really don't know. Honestly, I, I have no idea. But I mean, would you, would you ring have, the bell? Come on, let's get on have, to the next right, one. That's the first. It's <laughs> the first. Ring the bell. On we go. We're done. Black market you, you, bookies. Here we go. Now, well, actually, because I got asked this week, I, people keep ringing me up to ask me about affordability and the gambling review, mm. which is great because it's all it's I ever talk about. Yeah, it's the only reason you're on the program. Basically, that and living locally is, yeah. is basically it. Um, and somebody said to me, this whole black market bookies thing, uh, is it overdone? Mm. Uh, actually, a, fellow, a friend of mine who's out of the country and been out of the country for a while said, it isn't really happening anymore, is it? And of course, he was kind of thinking about uh, bookmakers in the Caribbean. Mm. Right, just being... wind back, wind back, a little bit of context. Okay. All right, so in the, in the drive to make people care and take this, uh, the gambling review seriously mm. and the implications thereof, yeah. um, the, the BGC and others are writing a lot and talking a lot about the threat of what happens if restrictions are mm. tightened and uh, the, the, then the growth and the strength yes. of the black market and the danger yeah. therein, both societally and, and, and people, economically. People who are gambling reformers people who saying are, are it's saying an overblown threat. that these people are yeah. overblowing the thing uh, and the Gambling Commission are kind of neutral on this and don't talk about it too much uh, because, of course, the responsibility for dealing with black market operators within the UK comes down to the Gambling Commission. And the Gambling Commission, generally speaking, would say that they don't really get enough funding, they don't really have enough resources to deal with a four billion industry, they get roughly 25 million a year. Uh, so therefore, it's quite hard for the Gambling Commission to make the case uh, that they're doing a wonderful job and they just need a bit more money, uh, if they also have to admit that there's a massively thriving black market in the UK, because that would make them sound like they're not really doing a very good job. Um, I think there is a massively thriving market, uh, black market within the UK and abroad, but I think some people, when they say it's overdone, are thinking about the abroad stuff, you know, websites in the Caribbean. Uh, and funnily enough, actually, Bridget Philipson from the, uh, not I've said her name wrong, haven't I? I've said it, the Labour MP there, and I've forgotten her surname now. But anyway, um, I'm going to need longer on this one now. We'll just keep uh, rolling, we'll keep rolling it in, because it's two <laughs> okay, sides of the I'll same coin I'll come on to the next one in a minute. But uh, it was funny, because she was in a discussion about the black market, sort of pushing that the black market is quite a bad thing, you know, and it's, and it's growing uh, with her BGC hat on. Um, and uh, a black market bookmaker from the, from the Caribbean cropped up in the conversation to say you can get a quarter all races with us if you'd like to send us a, a WhatsApp message. I just thought that was quite funny. Um, but anyway, um, I think there's a lot of stuff going on that's kind of hidden. Like I hear anecdotally a lot of people saying, yeah, my account's restricted now, so I just ring up Terry, or I just message him, his Betfair account's fine, and I say to him, can you just have me a couple of hundred on the favourite in the next race? Yeah. And he just goes, yeah, you've got that. And if he starts to realise, 
when you speak to Terry, he says, yeah, I don't put them on. I've just started laying them. He's absolutely useless. That guy never has a winner. Well, this is very hard to measure now. This is, is this two mates in the pub having a bet? Is this people helping each other out? Or is it, it's actually illegal activity, but people don't think of it as illegal activity. And I don't think it's going to be very easy for the Gambling Commission to clamp down on that kind of thing. Uh, the other thing I must just quickly say on the black market before we get off of that is that the main driver of sending punters to the black market is res- ridiculous over-restricting of accounts, which has been happening for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. You never hear the, the betting and gaming council saying that that has driven people to the black market. That's driven way more people to the black market than the recently implemented affordability checks have done. Uh, affordability is the next one. It is. And I don't know what he wanted me to say specifically. I think there was an article in the Racing Post this week. I think that's what it was. Lee Mottershead wrote about a fellow who said he had 300 grand in savings, 70 grand a year income, uh, and he submitted all the paperwork to a bookmaker they didn't wish to name, and they came back and, uh, and gave him a, a relative, I can't remember the exact number, I think it was 250 a month he was allowed to deposit. Uh, and he thought that was pretty low for what he'd done. Um, the, the real point I wanted to make about this, I mean, I, obviously we only got his side of the story and I don't know the full details of the case, but we don't know, for example, you know, does he have eight kids? What does he spend on their education? You know, does he have, a, does he have alimony to pay? Is he renting his house? Does he own his house? I actually said he didn't have a mortgage, he owned his house. But I mean, you know, it's not... If we're going to write legislation, which we are going to do quite soon whenever this white paper comes out, uh, we need to make it... Uh, consistent and easily applicable. We don't want stuff that has legislation where it needs to be different for every single case. Uh, And then it becomes very difficult. If you make the government or the gambling commission or whoever have to do subjective thinking about stuff, well now it's going to be really impossible to apply. It needs to be objective and set at the same for everybody mm-hmm. and that becomes very difficult when one guy's th- 300 grand in savings and no mortgage and the other guy lives in a rented place and has five children and whatever but they have the same income well that, now they have different disposable incomes and now it just gets messier and messier which is why i think affordability just doesn't work and also basing affordability on net deposits uh and uh not thinking about like other forms of identifying how people are gambling, I think, is wrong. Uh, plus, the idea that it has to be on income and it can't be on uh, capital is also a bit weird. If I inherit, if I'm a kind of skint member betting in fivers, and then suddenly I finally inherit the the country estate from my long lost uncle, uh, you know, and now I'm a multi millionaire, well, surely I should suddenly be allowed to bet bigger. But if I lose all that money. How bad is it going to look to the operator now, two years' time, when that's the headline in the, in the, uh, the Daily Fail? Well, those were the sweet talks. You, you actually stuck to time remarkably reasonably well. Reasonably well. well. Reasonably it was me well. that went half an hour you over on really a You did really go a, there on, on a, a rich strike. Yes. I nearly had to pull you up on it, but it's yeah. fine. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Right. Uh, those were this week's talking points.